We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Episode 592 of the Al Galdi Podcast. It is Monday, June 12th, 2023. And guess who is COVID-free? That's right. (laughs) This guy right here, COVID-free. Yes, I am free from COVID. I have gotten rid of COVID. Hey, I've gotten rid of the vid. There's a rhyming key. Get rid of the vid. I have gotten rid of the vid. Uh, I'm essentially symptom-free. Took a test on Sunday night. The result was negative, which is a positive. And so here we are. Hello and welcome to this Monday installment of the Al Galdi podcast. Uh, Now, the problem is that our two-year-old daughter is displaying COVID symptoms, but she keeps testing negative. Uh, Trust me, my wife has tested our kids about 4,000 times, so we'll see if the uh, COVID has spread, but as we know, kids overwhelmingly do very well with COVID. So I ended up getting through it over about five days. I'm not going to lie, it smacked me around for a few days. I was like the Miami Heat mascot (laughs) that got walloped by Conor McGregor at NBA Finals Game 4 on Friday night. Did you see that? Uh, I was the Heat mascot, and COVID was Connor. Uh, but like the Heat mascot, after he sues Connor and makes millions of dollars, I am back on my feet. So good to be with you. Hope that you had a nice weekend. Uh, I next segment have a nice guest for you, Tom Lavero, my buddy, my pal, columnist for the Washington Times, uh, a man who is without fear when it comes to providing opinions on the NFL team of Washington, D.C. Tom's going to spend some time with us talking about the state of the commanders as we close in on the finalizing of the sale of the team to the Josh Harris group and as the team is about to conclude its off-season program. Uh, The commanders on Tuesday have an OTA practice and then that's it. Uh, the annual break of about six weeks until training camp begins. Uh, Tom and I are going to talk about whether new ownership is going to make Tom less cynical and more cheery about the team. Are we about to get a more optimistic Tom Lavero about the football team? Uh, we're going to talk about team president Jason Wright, including his relationship 
with head coach Ron Rivera. Uh, we're going to talk about whether Ron uh, might be looking forward to not being the head coach of the team. We're going to talk about quarterback Sam Howell and a lot more. Tom Lavero, next segment, talking commanders as he is uh, wrapping up a week of vacation. Also on the show, the Wizards. Uh, I have some things to say about some things that our Wizards owner, Monumental Sports and Entertainment founder and CEO, Ted Leonsis, had to say on the Woj Pod, uh, which is the podcast by ESPN NBA insider Adrian Wojnarowski. Uh, Ted put a good bit of the blame for the state of our Wizards on the team's fired president and general manager, Tommy Shepard. Uh, no, Tommy did not do some bang-up job. But neither has Tommy's now former boss, Ted, done some bang-up job. I just hope that Ted realizes that he himself, as the owner of the team, is as much to blame as anyone for the state of the team. Uh, And I will go in-depth on the Nationals and the Orioles off what went down with them over the weekend. Uh, No podcast or show covers the Nats and the O's like this podcast does. Uh, The Nats lost two or three games at the National League East leading Atlanta Braves. The O's swept three games against the lowly Kansas City Royals at Oriole Park at Camden Yards. Lots to get into with the Nats and the O's. Some mammoth home runs by the Nats and the O's on Sunday afternoon. You know, we now with StatCast get these instant measurements of home runs. Nats first baseman Dominic Smith, who this season basically never homers, uh, he in a 6-2 win at the Braves on Sunday afternoon smashed a 444-foot two-run homer. And Orioles shortstop Gunnar Henderson, he in at 11-3 pounding of the Royals on Sunday afternoon, launched a 462-foot three-run homer onto Utah Street in Baltimore. Uh, Before we get to some feedback, a salute to Wahoo a salute to the University of Virginia baseball team, which has made the College World Series. Uh, The Cavaliers back-to-back routes of Duke to overcome a 1-0 series deficit and win the best of three Charlottesville Super Regional in the NCAA tournament, two games to one. Saturday afternoon, a 14-4 win. Sunday afternoon, a 12-2 win. And so next up, the College World Series in Omaha, Nebraska. You know, we this year had Maryland, George Mason, and Virginia in the NCAA tournament. Good to see at least UVA make the College World Series. You can tweet me at Al Galdi. You can email me, the Al Galdi podcast at yahoo.com. I have continued to receive feedback on me having COVID. Uh, email from Jim D. I'm sorry to hear about your bout with COVID. Praying for your recovery. I'm sure you will knock this out soon. Technically speaking, according to the World Health Organization, the pandemic actually isn't over, but many jurisdictions have started referring to it as an endemic. So the who may follow suit soon enough, but your point still stands. The worst days are far behind us. Sorry for putting on my actually glasses on there. I guess that's just the hopeful future doctor in me. Uh, Thank you for the email, Jim. No problem, man. Uh, Boy, this podcast, for whatever reasons, has a lot of doctors, present and future, uh, as listeners. I've said this before. I will put the collective IQ of the listenership of this podcast up against the collective IQ of any other listenership of any other podcast on the planet. 
that open challenge remains. Uh, email from Jake, longtime listener here. Thanks for continuing to turn out such great pods day after day. COVID be damned. Hope that you continue to feel better. My wife and I are on a trip through Croatia. And let me tell you, there isn't much better than listening to the Al Galdi podcast on the shore of the Adriatic. Take care, Al, and keep up the great work. Well, thank you very much for that, Jake. Uh, I appreciate that. And so we now can add Croatia to the list of countries in which this podcast has been heard. You know, while we're talking about the international reach of this show, something very interesting is happening this month. And I don't know why, but the number two country for downloads of this podcast this month is Iceland. Uh, No clue as to why that is, but for some reason, I'm having a big month in Iceland. Normally, the top three countries slash regions for downloads for this podcast are one, the United States, two, the United Kingdom, and three, Canada. But so far this month, Big numbers in Iceland. Who knew? Email from Jack L. Hope you have a full and speedy recovery. By putting out the podcast while sick with COVID, you played herd and proved to be the anti-Zion Williamson, (laughs) though just don't get a stripper pregnant. Uh, (laughs) Thank you for the email, Jack. Uh, I will do my best in that regard. Although, for the record... Uh, Zion's girlfriend is pregnant, or at least his former girlfriend is pregnant, and a porn star, not a stripper, uh, then called Zion out on Twitter and indicated that she might be pregnant. Don't confuse a porn star with a stripper, okay? There's a big difference. Uh, and poor Zion, can't a guy have a social life? (laughs) Jeez. I mean, he's just trying to have some fun, okay? Um, but you know, that 2019 NBA draft class, think about the top two picks now. The New Orleans Pelicans with the number one overall pick in that 2019 NBA draft took Zion. Uh, he cannot stay healthy and now he apparently can't keep his social life under control. The Memphis Grizzlies with the number two overall pick in that 2019 NBA draft took Ja Morant, who seems to have a fixation with guns and uh, may be about to be suspended for quite some time. Well, hopefully, all is well in your life, but uh, if you have been harmed by the negligence of someone else, as Zion Williamson's negligence may well have harmed his porn star buddy, his porn star pal, uh, always know that the law firm of Paulson and Nace is there for you. If you have a case, contact Paulson and Nace. Paulson and Nace is a Washington, D.C.-based family law firm that is always ready to fight for you. Paulson and Nace handles medical malpractice, personal injury, birth injury, legal malpractice, and consumer protection cases, offering aggressive advocacy for victims in Washington, D.C. and West Virginia. Call 202-902-7611, and when you call, make sure that you tell Paulson and Nace that Al Galdi sent you. Paulson and Nace provides passionate advocacy on behalf of injury victims designed to help them and their families move forward after the most difficult of times. And Paulson and Nace is excellent at what it does. Paulson and Nace has recovered millions of dollars for the sick and injured. How about this? Two verdicts against Merrill Dow totaling $132 million. Yes, Paulson and Nace has taken on Big Pharma and won. Uh, Clifton versus Georgetown University Hospital, a $50 million verdict for a young mother injured during childbirth. 
Uh, just last July, Bradley versus the United States of America. Paulson and Nace won a case for which the United States government must pay nearly $1.8 million. So this to a former American University field hockey player because of a military doctor's failure to diagnose and treat the student for a 2011 concussion that left her with permanent symptoms. Paulson and Nace took on the U.S. government and won. If you have a case, contact Paulson and Nace. If you feel that you've been wronged, if you think that you've been wrong but aren't sure, call Paulson and Nace and schedule a no-obligation appointment. Call 202-902-7611. That's 202-902-7611. And when you call, tell Paulson and Nace that Al Galdi sent you. You can also visit paulsonandnace.com. That's paulsonandnace.com. And don't forget to tell Paulson and Nace that Al Galdi sent you. Paulson and Nace, when tragedy happens, let the family of Paulson and Nace take care of your family. Well, in terms of Commander's news over the last few days, uh, the biggest item may well have been NFL insider Ian Rappaport of NFL Network and NFL.com on the Pat McAfee show saying that the Commander's incoming new lead owner, Josh Harris, will not be changing the team name. Uh, Rappaport on the Pat McAfee show on May 15th said that he had been told that the Josh Harris group had not yet truly discussed changing the name of the team. Now, Rappaport said this in kind of a weird way because he first said that changing the name again was, quote, not something that's on the table, end quote. But then he said that changing the name again was not something that had been discussed by the Harris group. Not being on the table implies that changing the name isn't even a possibility. Not having discussed changing the name is different. Anyway, this was Ian Rappaport on the Pat McAfee show this past Friday, June 9th. Uh, you're going to hear Rappaport and McAfee discussing the meeting that Josh Harris and the number two man in the Harris group, Mitchell Rails, had with the NFL Finance Committee in New York City this past Wednesday. And then at the end of the cut, very quickly, Rappaport sneaks in that the name of the team isn't changing. Here you go. Uh, Josh Harris and his partners had a meeting with the finance committee on Wednesday. Yeah. Shut up. Yeah, Wednesday. And basically presented his plan to kind of like adjust, move some money around. It sounded like the meeting went good. Should be all systems go. And I would expect in some point in July, maybe like right around the start of training camp, have a special league meeting, vote it in, be officially done, done, done. Like that is all where it's going. Done, it's going done, to happen. Done, done. All right. Well, congrats to Josh Harris. And they're not changing the name. Huge. They're not changing the name. Damn Never. It. Never. All right. So like I said, that was quick. But Ian Rappaport said, quote, and they're not changing the name, end quote. And Rappaport was pretty declarative with how he said what he said. So presumably he has some intel on this. Uh, you wonder, though, is the intel from the Josh Harris group as in a Josh Harris or a Mitchell Rails or someone close to those guys has told Rappaport that the name of the team isn't changing, or is the intel from the NFL, as in, we don't care what the Harris group wants, the name of the team is not changing again. There's a difference between the Harris group letting it be known that the name isn't changing, and the league letting it be known that the name isn't changing. But anyway, we do know that the ownership of the team is changing, and we do know 
that the Commander's 2023 offseason program is ending. Uh, One more practice, which will be an OTA practice on Tuesday. I'm very pleased to welcome back to the Al Galdi podcast, the great Tom Lavero, a man with whom I worked at the Team 980 for years. Uh, Tom is a columnist for the Washington Times. You can find his work at WashingtonTimes.com. Many of you hear him all of the time on the Kevin Sheehan Show podcast. You can follow Tom on Twitter, at Tom Lavero, with Tom spelled T-H-O-M. And Tom, on his Twitter account, has posted a number of terrific photos from a big trip that he just took uh, with some longtime friends, a trip that included stops at the Pro Football Hall of Fame in Canton, Ohio, uh, the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame in Cleveland, uh, Cleveland's Progressive Field, home of the Guardians, who used to be the Indians and are not changing their name again, at least as far as we know, uh, and also PNC Park in Pittsburgh. Hey, Tom, how are you? Uh, It's always good to see you, Al. I'm glad to be on. Well, here we are, uh, ever so close to the sale of the football team being finalized. Uh, I last had you on the show in February, and you said that with new ownership of the commanders coming in, you essentially were going to have to recondition yourself, not to be so skeptical (laughs) and cynical about the team. Is this going to be a difficult transition for Tom Lavero? Well, that hasn't happened yet because the new ownership isn't in place. You know, I mean, this is a team uh, we, we've always talked about, like in a factory where they have those signs that say number of accidents, number <laughs> of days since last accidents. Well, you always need an eraser for this team because the latest thing is the trademark issue. I mean, you know, Jason Wright made a big deal crowing about how they pick commanders and they couldn't pick the other ones that the fans preferred because there might have been trademark issues. And they, they didn't want to burden the fans with that. And lo and behold, they run into a trademark issue. The arrogance of this organization, just it just prevents me from taking that step, from making that move to the new age. So I'm, I'm just going to wait until the new owners take over. The trademark issue, for those who don't know, the U.S. Patent and Trademark Office on May 18th denied the trademark application for the commanders, cited two reasons. Number one, an existing trademark for Commanders Classic, and number two, pending applications filed by a Washington, D.C. area man. Now, even without official trademark protection, the commanders do still have some protection of their name, which is still protected by common law. But given incoming new ownership, given how many fans despise the name commanders, do you think that the team not getting trademark protection of commanders, at least not yet, uh, might be something that puts the Josh Harris group over the top in terms of changing the name of the team? I'll be curious to see I'm surprised at the momentum that the name change has. Um, I mean, most of the people that I deal with or hear from want the name change. And I think part of it is they're still pissed off that it's not the Redskins anymore. A big part of it is that it was a name change picked by this regime. And they just want to flush everything down the toilet that has anything to do with this regime. And another part is the pathetic way they rolled out the name. I mean, it was like they were opening up a, a Wawa or a 7-Eleven. <laughs> you know, it, it was really a lame rollout. I mean, the whole Today Show thing, who cares about the Today Show? You know, nobody cares about that. They needed to make a big splash here. And it, and it was just an embarrassment. So I think, I think all those components 
combined with the fact that people, some people just don't like the name, have some momentum. I'll be curious if that continues because I got to think that uh, I don't think new owners are going to be tackling a new name right away. Well, you mentioned your good friend, <laughs> the team president, Jason Wright. Uh, with the sale of the commanders to the Josh Harris group expected to be finalized over the next, say, six weeks, do you think that we are in the midst of the final days for Jason as team president? Well, I'd be disappointed if they don't make a change right away. I mean, he, he has proven to be an incompetent, an arrogant incompetent in this job. I mean, so many things have gone wrong under his watch. Uh, it, it's just remarkable. And people say, well, he has difficulty because he's working for Dan Snyder. Now, some of these things are, are have nothing to do with Dan Snyder, have everything to do with the fact that he's never run an organization before he came to run this football team. He has no management experience, per se. It's not like he's ever run a franchise or or even a 7-Eleven, for that matter. So, uh, so I, I, and I would think that Josh Harris, being an experienced professional sports owner, who owns a piece of the of NFL team already in the Steelers, has a management team in place ready to go. As you know, uh, there has been a lot of, shall we say, scuttlebutt that there are problems between Jason Wright and uh, another one of your favorites, Commander's Head Coach, Ron Rivera. Uh, Ron refusing to provide an on-the-record comment for a piece on Jason by The Athletic really stuck out. Uh, This is a piece that came out on May 9th, was by national NFL writer Mike Jones of The Athletic. And Ron, per the piece, quote, declined an interview request for this story, end quote. What do you think is going on between Jason and Ron? Well, uh, I think Ron Rivera is a very likable guy, and I'm not sure Jason Wright is, 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 so, is such a, so likable within the building, period. Now, that's what I've heard. To further speculate, which with no basis other than what I've read in rumors, this notion that Jason Wright would like to take, like to be in charge of a football operation, too. I'm not sure where that came from. I'm not sure how much, le- how much legs that has. But I would think that would cause some friction between him and Ron Rivera. With situations like this one with Ron Rivera and Jason Wright, I always go back to something that I heard you say years ago. (laughs) When something appears to be bad, it's almost always much worse. (laughs) And, (laughs) And we've seen that with this team. A relationship, a dynamic is rumored to be bad, appears to maybe be bad. And then we end up finding out that the situation was much worse than most people knew. Jason Wright's office is at FedEx Field. It's not in the building. Now, he may have an office in a building, but his main office where he operates is out of the stadium. Now, his explanation to me was he wanted his business people there to see what they were selling every day. And on some level, that makes sense. But he's not in the building Uh much anymore. They are separated. What's notable too is that Jason Wright lately has been very out there, has been doing a lot of interviews, has been talking up the sale of the team, has been talking up the Josh Harris group. Jason does very much appear to be in self-preservation mode. I mean, I compared it in a poem to when Don King came to the ring with, with Joe Fraser 
and then left the ring with George Foreman after Foreman knocked Frazier out, stepped over the body and walked out with the new champ. Uh, that's kind of what Jason Wright is trying to do. And, it, it, you know, it, it's, it's kind of distasteful. Look, I mean, Jason says that, well, Dan knows that there'll be a bump, you know, when uh, the team is sold. Well, he may know that, but I don't think he wants his team president walking around advertising. Boy, when this team gets sold and we're rid of the owner, everyone's going to make a lot of money. So with that bump, or at least anticipated bump, uh, we had that report from ESPN on May 16th. Uh, the report was based on a confidential Josh Harris Group prospectus that ESPN obtained, and the prospectus painted quite the rosy picture of life for the commanders without Dan Snyder as a co-owner and co-CEO. Do you think that new ownership in and of itself will be enough to be a boon to business for the team? I think it'll be a, a, an immediate boon for business. I'm not sure how long-lasting it will be if Ron Rivera and company are still the coach and they and they do not have a good season. If the season is progressing as these other seasons have, I think they could lose that bump pretty quick at that point. And it wouldn't surprise me if that were happening to see Ron Rivera get fired in the middle of the season and see Eric the enemy promoted. To, I mean, they have a guy now that they can stick into that job, you know, whether we think he, he should have it or not. I'm sure in their mind, they have a guy who they can who they can put in there, who they get a lot of praise for, for hiring. Well, there's no doubt that the second that the regular season begins, Ron Rivera is on as hot of a coaching seat as an NFL head coach can be on. Do you see this team as a team that can have a good 2023 season, or do you more see this team as uh, headed for yet another disappointing season? Well, I think they are seven and nine or nine and seven. And in the NFC East, you know, maybe in the NFC, nine and seven gets you in the playoffs. You know, uh, since all the great quarterbacks are in the AFC now, the NFC is certainly not as competitive as it once was. There's no true super teams, so to speak, like there are in the AFC. So, I think they're I think they're a seven to nine win team like they have been. And that's not good enough. Much more with Tom Lavero in moments. I'm gonna next ask him about the man being positioned to be the commander's QB one for this coming season, Sam Howell. Well, Tom just said that the Commanders' is coming regular season being a 7-9 to nine win team would not be good enough to prevent Ron Rivera from being fired as the team's head coach. Here's something, though, that is good enough. In fact, it is better than good enough. Catering by Uptown. It is the DMV's number one catering service. It is a family business that prides itself on its signature dishes and flawless presentations and Catering by Uptown goes beyond just food. Catering by Uptown offers personalized consultation and event planning assistance that are outstanding, including venue coordination, custom catering menu selection from over a thousand delicious dish selections, and a day of event coordinator who will make sure that everything runs smoothly. From putting together and executing a menu to picking linens uh, to selecting an excellent florist, Catering by Uptown is committed to meeting your needs and exceeding your expectations. Whether you're having a wedding or a corporate event, an intimate gathering, or a gala, Catering by Uptown 
is the way to go. Visit cateringbyuptown.com and make sure that you mention that Al Galdi sent you. Check out the reviews, nearly 500 reviews, averaging 4.6 out of 5 stars. Visit cateringbyuptown.com. That's cateringbyuptown.com. And make sure that you mention that Al Galdi sent you. More now, talking commanders with Washington Times columnist Tom Lavero. All right, Tom, here's a loaded question. Uh, are you a believer in Sam Howell? You know, I, this is so hard because I wouldn't be so skeptical if it wasn't for the way the coach treated this guy last season. <laughs> you know, I can't get that out of my mind. I can't get out of my mind that he, he had no in, intention of playing him at all last year. And then in the final game, he had to be talked into it to put him on the field by, by the other backup quarterback, Taylor Heineke, who didn't want to go out there and take a beating, by the way. This was no benevolent move by Taylor Heineke. He, he, he's had this team in his rearview mirror by then, and he didn't want to take a beating. So I mean, he had to be talked into playing the kid. I can't lose that memory. You know, so I'm skeptical. I, I'll give you my bold prediction. I think that uh, Jacoby Brissett will be the starting quarterback week one. Wow, week one, really? Yes. I think it'll show up in training camp. I think it'll show up in, pre- in preseason games, and it'll be too difficult to ignore. Wow, that would be something, especially considering that Jacoby Brissett, as best as we can tell, has not gotten any first-team practice reps this offseason. But hey, we do know that Ron Rivera changes his mind, or at least changes his public stances on things. Uh, That's become undeniable with him. You know, here's another thing I can't get rid of, the memory of this coach. And maybe it comes to his uh, mental capacity. He didn't know that the Cleveland game was, was make or break playoff for them. I mean, I don't know any coach who, who keeps their job in a situation like that. He didn't know if they lost the game against the Browns, they'd be out of the playoffs. He admitted it. You know, so I worry about the thought process of a coach like that, who certainly could flop from one thing to the other and maybe not even remember what he said six weeks ago. You know, one thing about Sam Howell I wanted to bring up, Eric the Enemy talking about Sam Howell uh, after the last uh, OTAs. Uh, this is what the Enemy said. He under, uh, Sam Howell understands that he makes mistakes and all he wants to know is how he can get better and not make them. He's very competitive. He's very smart. Okay, this is what Eagles former Eagles GM Joe Banner said on Twitter. Uh, when your offensive coordinator has a chance to talk about his starting quarterback and he focuses on his demeanor, that's an odd choice. <laughs> I would agree with that. I mean, the first words out of Eric Bietamie's mouth were about the kid's work ethic and how he learns from his mistakes. Not about what a rifle arm he has. Not about how he's connecting with receivers. Yeah, although with the rifle arm thing, arm strength was the thing that Ron Rivera constantly complimented Dwayne Haskins for. And uh, we came to see how much that meant. Look, I'm a fan of the team, okay? Uh, I want Sam Howell to be the starting quarterback. I want him to be great. But we just don't know. And it is entirely possible that Sam Howell a year from now is a punchline 
that he's another John Beck, you know, a Washington quarterback who got talked up a bunch one offseason only to be abysmal. Uh, Now, my hope is that Sam is another Kirk Cousins, a quarterback taken by Washington on a day three of an NFL draft who ended up being very good. But no doubt, Tom, we could have another John Beck on our hands. Yeah, I mean, the coach has not shown good judgment when it comes to picking quarterbacks for this organization since the day he arrived. And uh, look, I think under different circumstances, I would think that, you know, I mean, Sam Howe, is a legitimate contender, has a good shot at being an NFL quarterback. I could buy into all the other stuff if it wasn't for this organization. And the difference between him and John Beck is, let's remember, the guy who talked up John Beck the most was John Beck. (laughs) That's true. And he did a very good job of that. Yes, he did. (laughs) That's very true. Uh, Do you think that being Washington head coach has been a lot harder than Ron Rivera ever anticipated. Well, uh, first of all, it's been, obviously it's been a very difficult personal time for him for, with going through this battle with cancer. And I'm sure that's played a part in his struggles in one form or another. Uh, but nobody, I don't think anybody from the outside could possibly foresee what, what, a, what a mess this organization was. So I'm sure... It's far worse than it, than he he would have thought it would be. You know, I, I doubt if Joe Gibbs, when he was talking to him about the job, you know, really let on how bad things are behind the scenes. Uh, but uh, I'm sure it was a surprise to him, and I'm sure it's worn him out. It's interesting that you bring up Joe Gibbs because I think that his second go round as Skins head coach was a lot harder than he thought it would be. And the results were very mixed. And I've always felt that him stepping down after that 2007 season, which was a playoff season for the Skins, was in part about getting out while the getting was good. With Ron Rivera, nothing about his tenure as Washington head coach has been easy. He has taken a lot of criticism. He has had some embarrassing moments. He has had some good moments, but the overall record isn't good. And I just wonder if there's a part of Ron at 61 that wouldn't mind no longer being the head coach of the commanders. Well, you would think so. You would think that he's financially, look, I mean, I don't have, you know, million dollars, millions of dollars in a bank, so I can't speak to this kind of mentality. But I would think that he's relatively comfortable right now financially uh, between his years at Carolina and the lucrative contract he got here in Washington. He doesn't seem like the kind of guy who needs a lot in his lifestyle to enjoy his life. He seems, since he's a talker, since you can't shut him up, he seems like he'd be great on television as an analyst. Uh, So, I mean, I could see a much easier life for Ron Rivera and his family at this point. And if he's only human, he's got to see that too. Final question for you. Uh, I'm assuming that Josh Harris, once his purchase of the team becomes final, will do some kind of a press conference or media availability. Uh, You always ask good questions. What's something that you'd like to ask Josh Harris? Well, that's a really good question. Uh, Something I hadn't thought about because he's going to be very circumspect in his uh, answers since the other NFL owners are going to be watching 
what he says uh, right from the start. Uh, I'd be interested in his uh, what he's learned from running the Sixers and the Devils compared to when he first started as a sports owner. What's changed for him compared to the first day he was a sports owner till now? And if he has a certain set of principles that he'll bring to those same principles that he's adopted, that he'll bring, can he bring those to an NFL franchise? And I'd, I'd be interested in what kind of wrestler he was. Yeah, that's he right. Was a wrestler <laughs> at Penn. And look, you got to be some, even if you're a bad wrestler at college, you got to be some level badass. You got to have a screw loose, too. That might be a very yes. good thing with this guy. So maybe Josh Harris has more going for him than we ever knew. Uh, Tom Lavero, columnist for the Washington Times. You can find his work at WashingtonTimes.com. Tommy, always great to talk to you. Thank you. Thanks, Al. Love being on. Hope that you enjoyed my conversation with Tom. Uh, if you did, please consider rating and reviewing this podcast. You on Apple Podcasts and on Spotify can rate the podcast. Five-star ratings are very much appreciated, and you on Apple Podcasts can write a review saying that you like the podcast. The review doesn't have to be long. can be just a sentence or two. Uh, the ratings and the reviews help out the podcast a lot, so thank you very much for doing them. So we on Friday's show, episode 591, uh, talked about the introductory press conference last Thursday afternoon for the president of Monumental Basketball, Michael Winger, and the Wizards' new general manager, Will Dawkins. Uh, they, along with the Wizards' new senior vice president of player personnel, Travis Schlenk, are uh, the new power trio for the Wizards. Uh, Winger and Dawkins on Thursday afternoon came off very well. Uh, all three guys have impressive resumes. All three guys are under 50. Heck, Dawkins is under 40. And all three guys were outside hires. In other words, uh, not a single one of these three guys has been mired in the mediocrity uh, that has been our basketball team for quite some time. It may well be that our basketball team, for the first time in a long time, has a young, or at least younger, bright, forward-thinking front office. But of course, the true leader of the Wizards is the owner, Monumental Sports, and entertainment founder and CEO Ted Leonsis, uh, as we have come to see, especially with the NFL team of Washington, D.C. If you don't have good ownership, nothing else can matter. Coming out on Friday was an installment of the Woj Pod, uh, which is the podcast done by ESPN NBA insider Adrian Wojnarowski. Woj had both Ted Leonsis and Michael Winger as guests. Uh, now, Ted in the press conference this past Thursday afternoon didn't talk much about the past, certainly didn't talk much about uh, Tommy Shepard, who ran Wizards basketball operations from April 2nd, 2019, until this past April 19th. That Tommy first was interim general manager, then general manager, and then president and general manager. But Ted, in this appearance on the Woj pod, did talk about the past. And what he basically said about Tommy is that <laughs> he had no plan. Uh, take a listen to this exchange with Adrian Wojnarowski. Has it felt the last few years like you're maybe the one place they always say you don't want to be, especially in the NBA, is chasing the middle, right? Um, yeah. Did, did I, that we feel like you I, I, I feel more that um, 
because we didn't have a plan. We're very opportunistic. Trade deadline would come. You know, I get briefed. These are the kinds of moves that we would consider making. And then there'd be another last-minute phone call, and bang, a trade would come before you, and they'd say, this is what we're doing. And what are you going to say? No, don't do it, of course. And you'd end up with a player, and now you had to rechange, rejigger what the plan is and the style is because of the player that you you got. And we made a lot of trades. We we've signed so many players. We we dressed so many players through the last three or four years, but we ended up with the same record. So I thought that that was a pretty telling item from Ted Leonsis. Uh, him painting a picture of things under Tommy Shepard as being last minute and fly by the seat of your pants. Uh, Doesn't sound very good, right? Uh, Makes this new regime of Michael Winger, Will Dawkins, and Travis Schlank look even better, right? Especially with how buttoned up and high IQ Winger and Dawkins sounded this past Thursday afternoon. And all of these reactions may be warranted, but let's make something very clear about Ted Leonsis and whatever has gone wrong uh, with his wizards. He's the owner. Ultimately, the lack of success is on him. No big Tommy Shepard defender am I, but the tactic of the owner of a bad team firing an executive and then telling a story of how the executive was no good, and that's why the team has been bad. Uh, That's what the football team has done, okay? The top two flaws for Dan Snyder as owner of the Redskins slash Washington football team slash commanders have been a lack of self-awareness and a lack of accountability. Nothing has ever been Dan's fault. And in hearing what Ted Leonsis said on the Woj pod, I got a Dan Snyder-like vibe of, yeah, the last guy. Boy, was he rough. Can you believe this is what I had to work with? Uh, Now, don't get me wrong. Ted isn't Dan, okay? Ted is far from Dan. Ted as Capitals owner has done things that Dan as the football team's owner can only dream of. But Ted as Wizards owner has not done so well. Ted Leonsis formerly took control of the Wizards as lead owner in June 2010. The team over its 13 seasons with Ted as lead owner has made the playoffs just five times, has finished with a regular season record above 500 just four times, and has continued two of the worst realities in all of Washington, D.C. sports. The Bullets slash Wizards have not advanced past the second round of the NBA playoffs since 1979, and the team has not had a 50-win regular season since the 1978-1979 season. The truth is this, Ted needs to do a better job. And Ted needs to realize that he himself deserves some of the blame for the fail that has been the Wizards. Uh, Now, Ted on the Woj pod did acknowledge that he felt like he wasn't giving Wizards fans enough to cheer about. Okay, that's something. But I'm just not a huge fan of Ted making it sound like he was at the mercy of Tommy Shepard having no plan. I mean, if you didn't like that Tommy didn't have a plan, then make him have a plan or fire him sooner and hire someone who does have a plan. Or here's a thought. Don't hire Tommy in the first place. If you don't like the job that an executive is doing, well, who hired that executive? Maybe your hiring process needs a better plan because that process is what led to you hiring someone who apparently didn't have a plan. 
Always remember this with Tommy Shepard. He was not Ted Leonsis' first choice to succeed Ernie Grunfeld as the man running Wizards basketball operations. The Wizards' top target was uh, then-Denver Nuggets president of basketball operations, Tim Connolly, who used to work for the Bullets slash Wizards, but uh, Tim turned down the Wizards. Uh, there also was a lot in 2019 about the Wizards wanting Toronto Raptors president Masai Ujiri, but uh, the Wizards' pursuit of him ultimately stalled, uh, perhaps due to tampering concerns. The Wizards fired team president Ernie Grunfeld on April 2nd, 2019. It wasn't until July 22nd, 2019, that the Wizards officially named Tommy Shepard as their general manager as part of the creation of monumental basketball. It took a while for Tommy to get the official job as Ernie's successor. I have been a bullet slash Wizards fan for my entire life as a sports fan. I very much want the team to do well. I am excited about Michael Winger, Will Dawkins, and Travis Schlank, but I don't want to hear from Ted Leonsis about how he was some innocent bystander, some helpless, powerless victim, while the uh, no-plan-having Tommy Shepard ran the Wizards into the ground. Ted, you're the owner, man. You're the ultimate boss. You're a smart guy. Be an owner. Be a boss. Be smart. Be a leader. And part of leadership is taking accountability. And I just hope that, at least internally, Ted Leonsis is aware that he himself is to blame for the Wizards being where they are. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.
Well, the Nationals' schedule has gotten harder, uh, starting with their Memorial Day night game at the Los Angeles Dodgers. The Nats, over 11 games starting with that game, are just 3-8. and eight. Uh, The Nats entered Sunday with a six-game losing streak, but I am happy to say that uh, that losing streak is over. Uh, the Nats, over the weekend, did lose two or three games at the National League East, leading Atlanta Braves. Friday night, a 3-2 loss in a game in which the Nats blew a 2-1 eighth inning lead. Saturday, a 6-4 loss, but Sunday afternoon, a 6-2 win for Nats manager. Davey Martinez, and, <laughs> yes, the boys. I'm proud of the boys. That's right, Davey, the boys. Uh, in fact, Davey Martinez, during his postgame session with reporters on Sunday afternoon, referred to his players as the boys. Here you go. A good win. Yeah, a good way to, good way to leave uh, Atlanta. Um, boys played well. Yeah, the boys did play well. Uh, the boys now are 26-38. and 38. Uh, that is the uh, second worst record in the National League. Uh, the Braves now are 40 and 25, tied with the Nats' previous opponent, the National League West leading Arizona Diamondbacks, for the best record in the National League. Uh, the Nats, over the three games in this series at the Braves, totaled just 12 runs, just 24 hits, and just three walks. But five of the 12 runs and five of the 24 hits came. In one inning, uh, came in a five-run top of the sixth on Sunday afternoon. Uh, Luis Garcia began the Nats five-run six with a leadoff first-pitch double to right field. Uh, this was one of three first-pitch extra base hits by the Nats in this inning. Uh, Garcia on Sunday afternoon as the Nats starting second baseman, a number two batter, two for four with the double and a single. Uh, then Joey Manessis in the Nats five-run six had an RBI single through the left side of the infield on a 1-2 pitch to tie the game at 2. Uh, Manessis was an at starting DH and number 3 batter in all three games in the series, and he over the three games went 4 for 12 with an RBI double, an RBI single, and two other singles. Uh, then Jamer Candelario in the Nats 5-run 6th, a first-pitch 2-run home run to right field for a 4-2 Nats lead. Candelario on Sunday afternoon as an at starting 3rd baseman and number 4 batter, 1 for 3, with the two-run homer and a walk. Uh, then K. Bert Ruiz in this Nats five-run sixth, a one-out opposite field single to left center field. Uh, K. Bert on Sunday afternoon as an Nats starting catcher and number six batter, two for four with this single and an RBI single. Uh, he in a Nats one-run fourth had a two-out RBI single up the middle to cut the Nats deficit to 2-1. And then came the mightiest blow, Dominic Smith. A home run. <laughs> yes, I said Dominic Smith, a home run. The no home run hitting Dom Smith hit a home run, and he hit some home run. Uh, Dominic Smith in this Nats five run six, a one out first pitch two run homer on a blast to right center field for a 6 2 Nats lead. The homer went a projected 444 feet per stat cast. This was just Dom Smith's second home run of this regular season and was his first home run since April 29th. Uh, Dominic Smith on Sunday afternoon as an at starting first baseman and number seven batter, one for four with this two-run homer. Uh, he on Sunday afternoon started off having not started the previous game, the 6-4 loss on Saturday. Michael Chavis was the Nats starting first baseman for that game, marking the first time since April 27th that Dominic Smith 
was not the Nats starting first baseman in a game, although Smith did end up a pinch hitting for Chavis on Saturday. But Dominic Smith so needed that home run on Sunday afternoon. He this season is hitting for frighteningly little power, especially considering that he's a first baseman. And he in the 3-2 loss on Friday night was guilty of a major defensive screw-up. Uh, so reliever Kyle Finnegan on Friday night made his first appearance in a game since the Nats 8-7 win over the Philadelphia Phillies at Nationals Park the previous Friday night, June 2nd. And uh, things did not go well for Finnegan this past Friday night, although a lot of that was about the defense behind him. So Finnegan in this bottom of the eighth on Friday night allowed two runs, although only one of them was earned. Uh, Finnegan gave up a leadoff infield single by Sean Murphy on a well-struck grounder that went off Finnegan's right leg. Then came Finnegan giving up a single by Eddie Rosario through the right side of the infield on an 0-2 pitch. And then right fielder Lane Thomas botched the fielding of the single for a fielding error that advanced Murphy to third and Rosario to second. Finnegan induced a one-out RBI ground out by Marcelo Zuna to tie the game at two, but on the play was first baseman Dominic Smith bobbling the ball as he was about to throw home. Uh, he instead got the out at first base, but this was a brutal moment for Dom Smith. And then Finnegan gave up a two-out first pitch RBI infield single by Orlando Arcia up the middle and off the glove of shortstop C.J. Abrams on a tough play uh, for a 3-2 Braves lead. The irony of the Nats' bad defense in this Braves' two-run eighth inning on Friday night was that the bad defense followed some great Nats defense in the bottom of the seventh. A reliever Carl Edwards Jr. tossed a scoreless bottom of the seventh thanks in large part to a great play by C.J. Abrams, who with a runner on first, two outs, and the Nats nursing a 2-1 lead, made a great diving catch of a full-count grounder by Austin Riley for a ground out for the third out. Uh, the grounder per stat cast had an exit velocity of 108 miles per hour and had an expected batting average of 500. Well, the Nats bullpen overall in this series at the Braves was pretty good. Uh, two earned runs in 10 innings of a 6-2 win on Sunday afternoon. Three Nats relievers combined for four scoreless innings. Carl Edwards Jr. tossed two scoreless innings, a scoreless spot of the sixth and a perfect spot of the seventh. Uh, Kyle Finnegan tossed a scoreless spot of the eighth. And Hunter Harvey, in his first appearance in a game since that 8-7 win over the Phillies on June 2nd, a perfect bottom of the ninth. Uh, the 6-4 loss on Saturday, two Nats relievers combined to allow one run in three innings with five strikeouts. So Chad Cool allowed one run in one and two-thirds innings with two strikeouts. He in the bottom of the seventh allowed a run on a one-out single by Kevin Pillar to left center field, a stolen base by Pillar, and a two-out opposite field RBI double by Ronald Acuna Jr. off the right field wall for a 6-3 Braves lead. The Acuna RBI double came on a high fly ball that was not played well. Uh, by right fielder Lane Thomas, who uh, has had problems with balls off walls. Uh, but then Jordan Weems on Saturday, one and a third scoreless innings with three strikeouts. And even in the 3-2 loss on Friday night, three Nats relievers combined to allow two runs, one earned in three innings. Uh, as for the Nats starting pitching, nice outing by Trevor Williams in the 6-2 win on Sunday afternoon. He allowed two runs in five innings with six strikeouts versus one walk. He gave up seven hits, a homer, a double, and five singles. He threw 84 pitches, 53 strikes, 
versus 31 balls. The two runs that Williams allowed came in the bottom of the first, during which he gave up a leadoff first pitch infield single by Ronald Acuna Jr. toward third base, and a two-run homer by Matt Olson on a bomb to right field on a 1-2 pitch for a 2-0 Braves lead. Uh, that homer went a projected 421 feet per stat cast, but ended up being outdone by the 444-foot blast by Dom Smith. Uh, but Trevor Williams continues to be solid for the Nats. He, in this regular season, over 13 starts, has an ERA of 411. Uh, no, he's not a Cy Young Award candidate, but you could live with that uh, from a number three or number four starter on a two-year $13 million contract, as Williams is. So the Nats this past December signed Trevor Williams as a free agent. The Nats starting pitchers over the first two games of this series at the Braves were Josiah Gray and Mackenzie Gore, and each guy continued his trend of being a bit off lately. Uh, Gray in the 3-2 loss on Friday night, one run in five innings. He did this despite issuing four walks, despite issuing a staggering four wild pitches, and despite throwing just 56 strikes versus 40 balls over 96 pitches. Uh, now, Gray gave up just two hits, both of which were singles, and he did have six strikeouts. Uh, Gray tossed a scoreless spot of the first despite issuing back-to-back two-out walks of Austin Riley and Sean Murphy, and despite issuing a two-out wild pitch, but Gray struck out Eddie Rosario on three pitches, all swings and misses, with runners on second and third for the third out. Uh, Gray, in the bottom of the second, allowed a run on a leadoff walk of Ozzie Albies, two wild pitches, and a one-out RBI ground out by Orlando Arcia to tie the game at one. And Gray tossed a scoreless bottom of the fourth, despite giving up a weekly hit one-out opposite field single by Eddie Rosario to left center field on an 0-2 pitch, uh, despite issuing a two-out wild pitch, and despite issuing a two-out walk of Marcelo Zuna, but Gray then struck out Orlando Arcia with runners on first and second for the third out. It's tricky with Josiah Gray right now. He's getting good results, but he's doing so with the, shall we say, questionable process. Uh, His final line on Friday night, one run in five innings. The last time that he had that final line was just a few weeks ago. 6-4 win over the Detroit Tigers at Nationals Park on May 21st. Gray in that game, one run in five innings, but he issued a whopping six walks and he over 88 pitches through just 48 strikes versus 40 balls. And he recorded just two strikeouts, although he did give up just three hits, all of which were singles. And then with Mackenzie Gore, uh, he in the 6-4 loss at the Braves on Saturday allowed five runs in five innings. Uh, now, he gave up just four hits, but uh, all four of the hits were extra base hits. Two two-run homers and two doubles. Gore issued just one walk, but he also recorded just three strikeouts. He threw 82 pitches, 55 strikes versus 27 balls. The outing actually could have been worse. Uh, Gore allowed five runs over the first two innings, but he then retired the final 10 batters he faced. But Mackenzie Gore in the bottom of the second allowed four runs. He issued a leadoff four-pitch walk of Travis Darno, gave up a two-run homer by Marcelo Zuna on a bomb to left center field for a 3-1 Braves lead. The homer winner projected 426 feet per stat cast. Uh, Gore gave up a one-out opposite field double by Kevin Pillar off the right field wall, and Gore gave up a two-out full count two-run opposite field homer by Ronald Acuna Jr. to right field for a 5-1 Braves lead despite Acuna having been down in the count at 1.02. That homer when it projected 413 feet per stat cast. A lot of big-time homers in this series. Uh, Mackenzie Gore now, over his last eight starts, 22 runs in 42 innings. That works out to an ERA 
of 471. Uh, Gore, over his first five starts in this regular season, had an ERA of three. Uh, Also, Gore starting to give up some homers. He, over his 13 starts, has allowed a total of 11 home runs. Seven of the 11 home runs have come over his last five starts. I thought that what Davey Martinez said during his postgame session with reporters on Saturday evening on Mackenzie Gore was interesting. Uh, Now, Davey, as he usually does, focused on the positive, but he did provide insight on why Gore was better after giving up the five runs. Take a listen. Like that Mackenzie came back out there and I retired 10 in a row with 30 pitches. I mean, that's kind of what we were looking for. I mean, if we could keep him right there, um, it's good. And all you know, all, all it was was a, really a conversation about being on the offensive, not afraid of throwing strikes, get ahead of hitters. Um, and he did that and was really, really good. So, you know, I was proud of him for doing that. Um, you know, we, we tried to come back and we felt short a little bit. You know, Garrett with a bomb, you know, there at the end there. Um, but we'll come back tomorrow and go try to go one row tomorrow. What did you see from McKenzie in those two home run balls in the second? Yeah, just uh, just like I said, just you just fall behind, and I'm, t- I'm pretty good hitters, right? So um, then all of a sudden, he, when he worked ahead, he was really good. He threw like 17 first pitch strikes out of 20, so when he's able to do that, like, because what kind of encouraging signs that for you when you can continue to kind of do that? Yeah, it's, I mean, like I said, he, when he pounds the strike zone, his stuff is electric. It really is. So um, we got to keep him in the strike zone, not try to, you know, he's not a guy that's going to uh, nitpick the corners or anything, just attack the hitters, uh, make his pitches. Um, his stuff is good. So, you know, like I said, I, I was very proud that, you know, he came back and, and gave us three three more strong innings the way he did. Uh, you know, he wanted, he wanted to stay in the game, but he had a 40 pitch inning. And uh, I thought, that was that was enough. I mean, I, I want to leave him with a good taste in his mouth. And I totally understand that. Look, Josiah Gray and Mackenzie Gore, they are young starting pitchers. Uh, they are works in progress. And no doubt, the Braves are a really tough team. Bottom line, overall, each guy this season has been a lot more good than bad. But right now, at this moment in time in the season, each guy is off a bit. Uh, Also, regarding the Nats, uh, they on Friday promoted third baseman Brady House from low A Fredericksburg to high A Wilmington. Uh, Brady House, per MLB Pipeline, is the Nats' number five prospect and is the number 88 prospect in baseball. Uh, The Nats took House out of a high school in Georgia with the number 11 pick in the 2021 MLB draft. This season is just his age 20 season. Uh, Now, House's 2022 season for Fredericksburg ended in June of last year due to a back injury. He, in that 2022 season for Fredericksburg, 202 plate appearances, an OPS of just 731. He didn't exactly kill it for Fredericksburg last season. He did this as a shortstop. House then, beginning with this season, made the transition to being a third baseman. And House this season for Fredericksburg, very good. 158 plate appearances, an OPS of 869. Good to see him healthy, good to see him producing, and good to see him progressing in the Nats farm system. Uh, No game for the Nats on Monday. Next up for them, a three-game series at the Houston Astros. And the Nats in this series are skipping Jake Irvin's turn in the rotation. So game one, Tuesday night at 8-10, Patrick Corbin will be the Nats starting pitcher. Game two, Wednesday night at 8-10, Josiah Gray will be the Nats starting pitcher. And game three, Thursday night at 8-10, Mackenzie Gore will be the Nats starting pitcher.
Well, nothing like a series against the second-worst team in the majors to get yourself fat and happy. Uh, The Orioles over the weekend swept three games against the lowly Kansas City Royals at Oriole Park at Camden Yards. Friday night, a 3-2 win. Saturday, a 6-1 win. And Sunday afternoon, an 11-3 win. As the O's, Joe Angel, were back in the win column. And the Orioles again in the win column. That's right, Joe, the win column. Uh, The O's now have won four consecutive games of having lost seven of 11 games. Uh, The O's for this regular season now are 41 and 24. That is the third best record in the American League and is the third best record in the majors. In fact, the O's now are 17 games above 500 in a regular season for the first time. Since July 26th, 2016. It has been nearly seven full years since the O's have been as good as they are right now. Uh, Now, the Royals are horrendous. The Royals now, this regular season, are 18 and 47, second worst record in the majors. But still, good for the O's for beating up on the Royals over the weekend. A tremendous offensive series for the O's, especially from this perspective, a lot of extra base hits. The O's over the three games totaled 32 hits. 15 of the 32 hits were extra base hits. And the O's did this while still being without center fielder Cedric Mullins. Uh, He's on the 10-day entered list with the right groin strain. Uh, The O's placed him on the 10-day IL on May 30th. And the O's did what they did over the weekend, despite first baseman Ryan Mountcastle not playing at all in the series due to illness. Uh, No Oriole hitter in this series was better than Gunnar Henderson. Boy, is he hot right now. Henderson in this series, 8 for 13 with two homers, a double, and five singles, and he went two for three on stolen bases. Uh, Henderson in the 11-3 win on Sunday afternoon as the Orioles starting shortstop and number one batter, three for five with a three-run homer, a double, and a single. He hit an Orioles three-run seventh, smashed a two-out full count, three-run homer on a massive blast to right field and onto Utah Street, for a 10-3 Orioles lead, despite having been down in the count at one point, 0-2. The homer went, get this, a projected 462 feet for a stat cast. What a shot by Gunnar Henderson. Uh, he in the 6-1 win on Saturday as the Orioles starting third baseman and number one batter, two for five with a solo homer and a single. And Henderson in the 3-2 win on Friday night as the Orioles starting third baseman and number seven batter, three for three with three singles. And he went two for three on stolen bases, although him getting caught stealing uh, was a result of him getting picked off. Gunnar Henderson in this regular season, all of a sudden has an OPS of 804. His OPS was at 702 through the end of May. So Gunnar Henderson's OPS for this regular season has shot up by 102 points this month. O's manager, Brandon Hyde, during his postgame session with reporters on Sunday afternoon on Gunnar Henderson. Yeah, well, you can tell he's a lot more aggressive early in the count and getting on pitches that he can handle and, uh, you know, let off the game with, you know, smokes a double there off a guy throwing 101 and 
to just look, looks he's definitely more confident right now. You can tell he's feeling a lot more comfortable at the plate this last week to 10 days and um, come to the right time. He's been going to left center and, and left field a lot more this last week plus. Is that kind of a sign that, you know, it's not just the pull side that he has going right now? Yeah, and then you can go 462 in the pull side. So, um, no, you know, did a did some damage going the opposite way on the road trip. Uh, he's got a really nice approach when he uses, when he's thinking middle of the field and staying on the baseball. He's so strong and he's got so much bat speed and he's got coverage that, uh, you know, good things happen and, you know, uh, love the way he's swinging the bat this last 10 days. Yeah, how could you not? Uh, Gunnar Henderson entering this season was the consensus number one prospect in baseball. We right now are seeing why. But plenty of other offensive heroes for the O's in this 11-3 win over the Royals on Sunday afternoon. Ryan O'Hearn, another good game for this guy. He is the Orioles starting right fielder and number four batter. Got on base five times. He went three for three with a solo homer, two singles, and two walks. Uh, The O's this past January purchased O'Hearn from the Royals. Uh, This season is his age 29 season, but Ryan O'Hearn in this regular season now, 71 plate appearances, an OPS of 989. What a job. Uh, Ramon Arias, he on Sunday afternoon has the Orioles starting third baseman and number six batter, four for five with a two-run double, another double, and two singles. He did commit a throwing error. Uh, Also, I want to mention Anthony Santander in the 6-1 win on Saturday. He in that game has the Orioles starting right fielder and number three batter, three for four with an RBI double, another double, and a single. And he in the top of the first made an outstanding defensive play. Santander with runners on first and second and two outs made a tremendous leaping catch while falling back and twisting into the fence to rob Michael Garcia of a hit. Uh, You know, it was Marvel Superhero Day at Oriole Park at Camden Yards on Saturday. And Santander on that play looked like Spider-Man. Really impressive. So very good hitting by the O's in their three-game sweep of the Royals. Very good pitching by the O's too. Kyle Gibson in game three solid. Uh, Gibson in the 11-3 win on Sunday afternoon. Three runs in six into third innings. He gave up seven hits, a homer, two doubles, and four singles. He had four strikeouts versus no walks. Uh, He threw 90 pitches, 59 strikes, versus 31 balls. Good to see Cole Irvin do as he did in game two of this series. The O's on Saturday recalled Irvin from AAA Norfolk to start that day's game at the major league level. And Irvin in the 6-1 win on Saturday, one run in five of the third innings with five strikeouts versus no walks. Uh, Now he did give up six hits, but the six hits were a double and five singles. And he threw a lot of strikes, 72 pitches, 55 strikes versus just 17 balls, a strikes-to-balls ratio of better than 3-1. to one. Uh, The O's this past January 26 announced having acquired Cole Irvin via trade with the Oakland A's, for whom Irvin had been a solid and durable starting pitcher the last two seasons, but he this season got off to a horrendous start, so much so that the O's on April 14th optioned Irvin to AAA Norfolk. Uh, they then had him back up at the major league level May 16th to May 21st to serve as a reliever. And then he, on Saturday, did a good job in what was his first major league start since April 13th. Uh, Also in this series, uh, Tyler Wells, good again. 3-2 win on Friday night. Wells, two runs, 
in six and two-thirds innings. He gave up five hits, a triple, and four singles. He had four strikeouts versus one walk. He threw 92 pitches, 58 strikes versus 34 balls. Tyler Wells continues to lead all qualified pitchers in the majors in whip for this regular season, 0.85. Additionally, the Orioles' bullpen in this three-game sweep of the Royals dominant. Uh, Orioles relievers over the three games in the series combined for eight and two-thirds scoreless innings with 12 strikeouts. How about Keegan Aiken in the 11-3 win on Sunday afternoon? Not exactly high leverage innings, I'll grant you that, but Aiken in this game, two and two-thirds scoreless innings with six strikeouts versus no walks and just one hit, uh, which was a triple, but he threw 36 pitches, 28 strikes versus just eight balls. Uh, by the way, the O's on Friday uh, did option reliever Bruce Zimmerman back to AAA Norfolk. Really good series for the O's. Uh, no game for the O's on Monday. Next up for them, a three-game series against the Toronto Blue Jays at Oriole Park at Camden Yards. Game one, Tuesday night at 7.05. Game two, Wednesday night at 7.05. Game three, Thursday afternoon at 1.05. Uh, the O's had not yet announced their starting pitchers for this series. And that will do it for you and me for now. Keep the feedback coming. You can tweet me at Al Galdi. You can email me, the Al Galdi podcast at yahoo.com. A Tuesday show, episode 593. We'll have plenty for you on the Commanders. Have a great rest of your Monday, and I'll talk to you on Tuesday. Huh? Well, congrats to Josh Harris. And they're not changing the name. Huge. They're not changing the name. Damn Never. It. Never.